So we're wrapping up our series on Revelation this morning, and uh, I was thinking uh, about how do we summarize this and how do we wrap this up. I do want to share a story with you this morning. We actually, Heather and I, just came back from camping at Crater Lake National Park, and uh, when we were there, uh, one day we hiked down, uh, it's about a mile hike down to the crater, it's a crater lake, obviously, that's the name, and you walk down into the crater to get to the water, and we got out there, and we noticed that out on the rocks, there was a rock ledge, and people were going up to the edge and jumping off into the water, into 55, 54 degree water, and it was so crystal clear blue, um, I, I get the image of the water in heaven when I look into that lake because it's just so clear and clean and pure as well as deep blue, like the bluest blue that you can imagine. And people were jumping into this uh, blue lake. And we were watching, uh, we met another couple there from Seattle, Queen Anne actually, and they were talking about it. And the, the guy, it was, a, he, I believe, his girlfriend. And he said, I think I'm going to go do it. And I said, yeah, let's go. I'm going to do it too. And so he went and he jumped off in. And then I jumped off in and felt the shock of 55 degree water. And then his girlfriend and my wife were sitting there talking like, well, we're going to do it too. So they went up and they jumped in. And so all four of us had this shared experience of just jumping into this crystal clear blue water and, and just enjoying the leap right into the water. And not, not everybody was doing it, though. Every, some people were going up the edge, looking over and saying, nope, not going to do that. And uh, several people were hesitating or hedging and, or not doing it at all. or Look, because look, when you stand there on the edge and you look over, you go, well, this is a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. You know, this is a, I don't think I've ever jumped this far. And then you realize that on the other side of that leap is going to be some really cold water. And so uh, but we did it. We had fun. It was exciting. Even uh, shared a video of their of my wife Heather doing it with our daughters, and our daughters like, "Mom, you did that!" Yeah, we surprise, still surprise our children uh, every day. So they they only see us as parents sometimes, and not always as people who also are human and like to have fun. So keep that in mind, parents out there, that uh, you too can surprise your kids no matter what age they are. So, but I telling this story, you're kind of like, well, what's this story about? Is at some point, you know, we all have to stand on the edge, right? We all have to look over the edge, and we have to decide whether we're going to jump in or not. Now, the other thing I learned uh, from this experience was I got back last week. I was, uh, we were doing Serve Sunday, and I was serving alongside Dr. Jim Coglin, and he is, a, uh, I believe, a family practitioner, doctor, and I told him this story, and he said, you know you could have died. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he says, well, the shock of the cold water could have affected your vagus nerve, and you could have passed out and then needed to be rescued. I'm like, well, I'm glad I didn't know that at the time. Maybe I wouldn't have taken the leap. But there's this potential for some, something bad to happen whenever we take a risk. And part of the message of Revelation in the first century, we have to remember that what John is writing to is a church that's being persecuted, a church that's being, people are being imprisoned and tormented and tortured and even killed for their faith. And so John's not saying, hey, everybody become a martyr. What John's saying, that's a potential consequence of the risk you take when you jump into the kingdom of God. And so there's always this risk that's hanging out there for us, even as we jump in to the kingdom of God. I want you to stay with this image this morning of jumping into the kingdom of God, because once you take that leap off of that cliff too, you know, I, once I step off the cliff, I can't like halfway down go, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm all in 
or I'm not all in. I'm jumping in, or I'm not. I can't go halfway on that. It's interesting that John said that to the church, one of the churches in the early part of the book, right? I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish you were either one way or the other. I wish you would jump all in or not at all. But since you're somewhere in the middle, you know, I'm about to, to really spit you out of my mouth. And so there's this idea that John is challenging us. And this is the hard message of Revelation. John and Jesus challenge us to go all in on the kingdom of God, even if it means we might die. That's the message of Revelation, to be faithful even to the point of death and being willing to risk death for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a challenging message, and the prophets are always challenging. This is not a feel-good message that we've been play, uh, learning about this summer. So part of me is glad that we're, we're done uh, with this. Uh, what well, was also challenged us in a lot of ways, and I hope it's challenged you in good ways that has helped you in your relationship with God. So let's just pick up on a couple key themes that we see in these last two chapters. Uh, Heather read from chapter 22 this morning. We're also looking at chapter 21. So I want to back up to chapter 21 a little bit this morning and also talk about a couple of key themes throughout the book of Revelation. The one key theme is this. This is a book of worship. We've learned this already. We're seeing it again here in the last two chapters. This Revelation is a book of worship. Everything that's happening in the vision that John has in Revelation is flowing out of the throne room of God, out of worship of God. And not only is this a book of worship, but it's a new kind of worship. In fact, we've seen before already that there are new songs being sung in heaven that we're not singing right now. They're going to be, there's a new form of worship. There's a new spirituality that's coming that is that what John is pointing us to. And notice that some of the descriptors here in some of this uh, chapter 1 and 20, 21 and 22, is that in chapter 21, verse 4, it says the old order of things, the old way of worship, the old spirituality, the old culture is gone. This new heaven, new earth relationship has happened, and new worship is happening. Notice that uh, it's a restoration of the Garden of Eden. Now, what's important about the Garden of Eden is that before the fall, before sin uh, pulled us away from God, uh, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. They had direct fellowship. They were known by God, and they fully knew God, and they were together in God's presence. And so this is what we're seeing. The picture John's giving us here in Revelation is that that's restored. That, that relationship is restored with humanity. So God and humanity are together again. There's nothing in between. There's no gap. There's no divide. There's no estrangement anymore in our relationship with God. So the, along with that, there's no shame anymore. There's no hiding like Adam and Eve experienced shame and hiding from God. That's gone. And the other thing, notice that there's no sun There's no light because God is the light. God's presence is the full light that we need, right? And that is symbolic as well as the light of knowledge and illumination to that relationship with God. So this is a new way of being spiritual. This is a new spirituality, a new form of worship. The other thing is there's no temple. There's no temple. There's no place that a person needs to go to worship God. There's no church buildings there's no stained glass. There's, there's none, of this, none of this that I'm standing in will be needed anymore because these are places we go to connect with God. We won't need to do that in this new heaven earth reality because we will be right with God. God will be right here with us. We know that God is right here with us right now and with you in your home, but we will, it's like we'll be in the full presence of God. As God, uh, as Paul said, you know, we'll be fully known and we will know fully the God 
who created the universe that we learned about in chapter 1. This all comes together. And in fact, the end of the book, chapter 22, is a bookend to chapter 1 of Revelation. If you have some time today, go back and read chapter 1. You'll see the similarities between chapter 22 and 21. It bookends the whole book. So the other thing, that another key theme that we see here is this idea of the marriage of heaven and earth, right? Heaven and earth come together in this uh, passage. And so if you remember, the title of our series is As It Is in Heaven. We get that from the Lord's Prayer where we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here we see in Revelation, finally, the marriage of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are together. They're one. They're not separated anymore. And so this idea, and it's referred to as a marriage. And so again, this is symbolic for John. John, remember, talked about the Roman Empire being a harlot empire, an unfaithful a bride, so to speak, an unfaithful spouse that the Roman Empire was being in their relationship to God because it was, it was that. So now this idea is the faithful bride being married, heaven and earth coming together as a marriage. The holy city, the faithful bride being married to Jesus, the lamb, the bride and the groom. And this is the imagery that John is using to communicate this relationship that heaven and earth have come together and they're together. And it's interesting how uh, some of the symbolism that John uses uh, in chapter 21 about this holy city. Uh, A couple things to notice about the holy city, that John actually measures it, and it's 12,000 stadia, or 1,500 miles, uh, height, width, and depth. So it actually becomes not just a horizontal square on the planet, but it becomes a cubed-shaped city, (laughs) which is symbolic of it, more of its perfection and fulfillment, as well as it's interesting that 1,500 square miles would have covered the entire Roman Empire. That was the size of the Roman Empire at that time of John's day. That's what John knew as the Roman Empire. And it's interesting that he chooses this uh, uh, measurement to, that, is, that the Roman Empire, the harlot empire, is now being replaced by the holy city, the faithful bride of Christ. So you go from this, you see these two, it's really a tale of two cities, so to speak. And now the city of God is, is married to heaven and have married heaven and earth together. The other thing to point out about the city is that you'll notice that the stone, the foundation stones of the city are made up of gemstones, different precious stones. And there are different ones, and there are 12 foundation stones, 12 stones mentioned in Revelation. Where does John get this? John actually is using, again, another symbol of worship and another symbol of the priesthood, which when the tabernacle was created, the priest would wear a a breastpiece. And on the breastpiece were 12 precious stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel when the priest went in to meet with God in the Holy of Holies. So one time a year, the priest could go in and be in the presence of God, and these stones represented the people of God in the Holy of Holies on the breastpiece of the priest. Now, what do we learn in Revelation? We've learned in Revelation that we're a kingdom of priests. And now John is using the same imagery of the 12 stones, the same 12 stones that were talked about on the breastpiece in, in uh, Exodus in the Old Testament, as now John is using it as the foundation stones of the city. The city is built upon these 12 stones. The same stones are mentioned in, on the breastpiece 
and here in Revelation. Again, John is using symbolism, reminding us that we're a kingdom of priests. And again, that all of us have direct access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not that we have 24 hours in heaven anymore because God, there's no sun and moon. God is the light. And so we're fully, God is fully present to us and we are fully present to God. That's the relationship that's being described here in heaven and that there's no longer a mediator between us uh, like a priest because we are a kingdom of priests. And that's good news that we have this renewed relationship with God in this marriage of heaven and earth. Now, there's a couple things that we have to think about as the church today in our time period because John has given us this beautiful vision of a future heaven and earth, uh, of worship and of heaven and earth being married. And, And we all intuitively, I think, long for things to be put right in our world. We long for that marriage to happen, for all things to come together for every tribe, language, nation to be worshiping together in relationship, reconciled together. This is something that we all long for, right? And yet, we as the church, and I think the message we, we see, Revelation is a message for the church. And one of the things is that the church has taken two approaches. And one approach has been, throughout the years, has been, well, that's something God's going to do in the future, this vision of heaven and earth coming together. And Uh, so that's something God's going to do off in the future, and we just got to wait for Jesus to come back and make that happen, right? We're we're just going to hunker down, and we're going to get into our holy huddles and our holy, uh, you know, uh, shelter, and we're going to shelter ourselves from the rest of the world, and we're going to escape from the problems in our world, and we're going to basically stick our head in the sand and ignore what's going on around us, and we're just going to wait. We're just going to wait for Jesus to come back and for all this to be put right. We're going to trust God, and we're going to do it, and that's certainly part of the message of Revelation that John, John is saying, be faithful, persevere, endure. And so that's sometimes the way we handle what's going on in the broken world. But yet Jesus taught us to pray, right? Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus taught us to pray in a way that would bring heaven to earth, not just escape it, the problems of our world. So that's one approach the church has often taken is this escapism. The other approach, though, and this is maybe an approach that you and I even today fall into, and I don't know what you, how you are, uh, we like to solve problems. We're, we're, we're good uh, Americans that like to problem-solve and fix things and do everything on our own and be independent and be individualistic, and we're going to use all our human effort to fix the problems in our world. Unfortunately, a lot of times our human effort alone will not bring about the change that is needed, not just physically, organizationally, systemically, but also within us as individuals. And so there's this idea that we think that somehow by our own human effort, we can fix everything and we don't need God's help at all, right? We do that individually. I think we can also do it in larger groups. Even as a church, we think we're going to change everything. We're going to change the world. We're going to fix it. But sometimes we leave God out of that. And yet true reconciliation does not happen without the presence of God, without the Holy Spirit. Notice that a lot of this imagery and vision is relational. Every prophet in the Old Testament and even in John's prophecy here was always about reconciling and restoring people's relationship with God that also restored their relationship to other human beings. These two things are connected. You can't do it all on your own without God. In fact, true reconciliation cannot happen in our world without God. 
Notice that even in this vision, in chapter 21, that on the tree of life are leaves. And it says here, John says, for the healing of the nations. The nations will not be healed without God. Reconciliation cannot happen without God. And in this vision, John is saying that God wants to heal the nations, that every tribe, language, nation will be together in relationship with God and with one another. But we need God's help to do that. Our human effort alone will not accomplish that. You know, I think about this because Jesus came both full of truth and grace. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to to embody both truth and grace as well here in just a minute. But the challenge for every prophetic message is to restore our relationship to God, restore our worship of God, knowing that it impacts justice in the world. Worship and justice are connected together. You can't separate the two and go, go one way or the other. So if it's not an either or, what is it? What is it? Well, let me suggest, let us, not me suggest, but let John suggest to us, and I'm actually going to give credit today from a, a book uh, that I've uh, been reading this summer. Several people recommended me this book. It's called Reading Revelation Responsibly. Reading Revelation Responsibly by Michael Gorman. Uh, and uh, one of the subtitles is Uncivil Worship and Witness Following the Lamb into the New Creation. That's what it's about. So I uh, took some inspiration from this book this week on this next point about what John is saying about being the faithful witness. All throughout the book of Revelation, it's about being the faithful witness even to the point of death, even if it means sacrifice, even it means, if it means giving up some other things in our lives. So here's what a faithful witness looks like according to Revelation. The first thing about the faithful witness is the faithful witness embodies the practices and values of God's kingdom even to the point of death. That's the point we want to stress here, even to the point of death. Even if it means you will be martyred, because you're embodying the practices and values of the kingdom. Even if it means people will reject you or that people will not like you or people will not agree with you, it still means that we will seek first the kingdom of God and we will be a faithful witness to the practices and values of the kingdom of God. That's part one of the faithful witness that John is calling us to. The other part of the faithful witness that John is calling us to in the book of Revelation is this, that the faithful witness resists the practices and values that are at odds with God's kingdom, even to the point of death, meaning that we'll be resistors of anything in our world that does not line up with the practices and values of the kingdom of God. So we embody the kingdom, and we resist the world when it doesn't line up with the kingdom. Jesus came full of grace and truth. These two things go together because at times when we, we talk about speaking truth to power, right? So we're, we're resisting practices, right? We're resisting values that are not in line with the kingdom. Yet if we're embodying the kingdom, we also embody grace, right? So we speak truth to power, and we also respond with grace. Truth and grace go together, and both are needed for true reconciliation to happen. If we are going to reconcile anything in our world, in our relationships with God, we need both truth and grace working together for that to happen. And so John is encouraging us to embody and to resist, to embody and resist, to be true people of truth and people of grace coming together with one another as the church to bring heaven 
to earth, to, mar- to be a part of this marriage relationship that John is pointing to, even if it means sacrifice. Now, you and I probably won't be asked to give our lives. There are other people in the world right now that are laying down their lives who are being martyred for their faith. Here, we don't have to face that challenge at this point. Yet, that's part of it. What, what sacrifices are we willing to make for the kingdom of God? And what risks are we willing to take when we jump in and go all in with the kingdom of God as someone who embodies and resists? I think part of it requires us to surrender and to be humble. To be humble means to like really put God first and myself second to, for you and I to do that. So I think about uh, Leonard Bernstein was asked one time, uh, Leonard Bernstein, if you don't know who he is, he's a famous, uh, well-known composer. Uh, He wrote uh, the music for a play called West Side Story. You may be familiar with that. He also composed some other pieces of music. He was a composer, conductor. And someone was interviewing him and asked him, uh, what's the hardest instrument to play? What musical instrument? Of all the musical instruments in the orchestra or out there that you know about, Uh, what's the hardest one to play? And he thought for a second, he said, second fiddle. Second fiddle is the hardest to play. And second fiddle means second violin. So you have, in an orchestra, you'll have first chair, second chair, third chair musicians. And so everybody wants to be in the first chair. Everybody wants to be the number one, right? Uh, Wants to be the best. He said, but finding someone who can play the second fiddle or the second violin with enthusiasm and passion as the first is a very rare breed. And he said, but without somebody who plays with enthusiasm, you lose the harmony of the whole music. That person is just as vital as important as the first person. That's humility, being willing to be second chair. That's humility, being willing to put God first in our lives, put the kingdom first, as Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be taken care of, right? Added unto you. It's the same. We don't experience harmony, we don't experience peace because we're so busy trying to be first when it comes to God and our relationship with God and our relationship to other people instead of becoming second, instead of playing the harmony. And it's interesting that Jesus says that when you seek first the kingdom, when you go all in on the kingdom and surrender to the kingdom's practices and values, you actually experience harmony in your life. You experience peace with others, with God, right? That's what John is pointing us to. That's the marriage of heaven and earth together. We are working in cooperation with God as the second person. And that's what's happening here. I thought we'd end today with the words of Jesus from the book of Revelation, from chapter 22. In the very first 16 and 17, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, send my angel to give you this testimony for who? The churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus is giving us an invitation through John, through the angel. The invitation is to come into this kingdom, to be a part of it, to be a faithful witness to the kingdom and to be willing to surrender to that kingdom. Do you remember when you were a kid and you were maybe hadn't really jumped into the water before? You know, your mom takes you to the pool or your dad takes you to the lake or to the river 
and you're standing on the side of the water, on the dock, or on the edge of the pool, and your mom or dad are in the water already, and they're, what are they doing? They're like, say, come, jump in, come on in, it's okay, I got you, you'll be fine, right? And you're standing on the edge, trying to determine whether or not you're going to jump in. <laughs> you're a little scared, you're a little afraid. You don't know whether to take the jump. And I remember, you know, being a three, four-year-old, you know, the, the jump to the water is only like this far, right, versus 20 feet. But you're thinking, do I jump in, right? And part of it is, do I trust my parent? <laughs> do I trust my mom, my dad, who's calling me to come in? And really, this is a question of faith. It's a leap of faith. Do I trust Jesus, who's coming, who's calling, who's beckoning me to jump in the water, beckoning you to jump in the water, beckoning the church to go all in on the kingdom of God. Let's pray together.